The Burroughs of Berea is a conversational podcast. We study the Bible and we talk about it. Not all of us are of the same faith, and one of us doesn't actually have a faith. And that's wonderful. We all love one another, and we're going to continue to talk about these things. The things we believe in and the things we believe about what we read in the Bible. Not all of these are necessarily true. Some of it is opinion and speculation. Thank you for listening and speculating with us. There you go. That was good. Yes. <laughs> you are listening to the Burrows of Berea. Side Studies. Welcome back to the Burrows of Berea. I am Rick Welch, and to my left is Billy I Candy Kimsey. Hello. I, I have nothing. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, he he I'm, used this good one earlier. Yeah. That's a, yeah, that's yeah. too bad. We got Ralph Hicks. Represent. Behind the glass. Rocket Man, Andy Bishop. <laughs> Oh man! Try a new angle. Try a new angle. You know? <laughs> and Cherry, the Annihilator, Lewis. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> See, the harder you lean into it, the the more she's gonna be like, yeah. "Hello, hello." Yeah. Hi. I'm, I'm nice. How come you don't have a name? You're just Rick Welch. <laughs> I'm Rick Welch. <laughs> I mean, you're just Rick Welch. I'm like, Rick Welch. Bitch. Rick- <laughs> there it is. There it is. For there it is. <laughs> I'm Rick Welch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Wow. No. Well, we are now in the sixth part of our 85 part <laughs> <laughs> discourse. Yeah, all of it discourse. We've only got a couple more to go. Uh, this is uh, good to have Rick, uh, Rick back. Good to have Ralph back. Hey, yes. good to be yeah, back. Welcome back, good Ralph. Yeah. yeah. So we have went really, you know, only about what, 26 verse, verses into Matthew 24, but uh, everything that Jesus says on that. Uh, in this particular discourse, means so much, and you know, I want to I want to preface this episode, or maybe with a little disclaimer here. Okay, um, I haven't I've I've had some very interesting uh, messages and responses, and they've all they've all been pretty cool. They haven't really been that negative. There's been a few, you know. You know what I like about our social media? What's that? I never see it. Do you love it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's great. It That's explodes. what I like about it. I like, I like that other people deal with it. <laughs> yeah. It explodes my phone. I'm glad you're happy about that. Yeah. So um, we are not, this, this podcast is not a preterist podcast. I need to make that clear. We are not preterists. I am a partial preterist, but I, and I'm teaching this particular part of scripture using the hermeneutic of audience relevance, asking people to try to read it in its time to see if what Jesus said could have happened and what his disciples would have felt and thought while they were sitting there listening to him, listening to him tell them what's about to take place. And, uh, but I know that that, it throws people off. You know, if you check that room, you'll find that I think maybe one quarter of you is a is uh, believes that you know right. at least in the same manner that you do. I think there's everybody has slightly different levels of what they agree with on that. Sure, and it's important to remember because this we do we've been doing so many of these episodes and you know on this discourse and we've been studying it and reading notes and talking about it that it feels like that's all we are and we got to understand that eschatology is only one minor part of theology or of the scripture it's just the study of the end times that's not the only thing there's so much more in the scriptures besides this i just tackled it because it was very interesting and I can't thank the Berean Bible Church of Virginia enough. I've said this about Pastor David Curtis numerous times. They have incredible study notes, study guides, aids, things that you can use. If you want to learn it from this approach, you can actually go and learn it from there. It's amazing. And uh, they have a YouTube channel. They have a website. They have, they have so much that's available, and I've utilized that. And then by listening to them and listening to other people that have been teaching from a predator's point of view, I went and I found different books and I found different people. And so it's been it's been an interesting ride for me because I've always been looking for the you know this temple to be built. I've been I've been watching for that chief cornerstone to be added to the ground. I know that back in the 90s that that was something that some of these local churches near me were talking about putting money in and getting that stone over there. Oh really? And it was just that's the way I've always thought. Oh that's that's interesting. So there was it's like true. kind of a there was like a drive was it just kind of regional or was it a bigger No, I think sort it was it was a, probably more so in the south, I guess. Uh-huh. Um the southeast. But they were United like States. they were like let's let's 
put this cornerstone in. Just get this, the, kick this off. Yeah, they call it what is it? Zionism? Is that what they call it? Something like that. That where they just believe that the Jewish nation are still the chosen people of God, and that mm-hmm. there's kind of two ways to reach the Father, and that's you have your old style Hebrew that has their own laws and their own things, and then the Christian side, which is through Christ, which I completely disagree with. Those people um, that the way that they're describing, and I'm saying this from the Christian point of view. I'm not talking about you know Jews of today. Like I'm not even going to get into all that. I'm just saying on our side that it's taught that Christ is the only way. And that's, you know, so to kind of break from that is odd to me. You know, it's almost like they forget that side of it. I don't know. doesn't matter. But I just wanted to, to begin this episode by letting everyone know, not everybody in this room is a preterist. And some of them, <laughs> there are people in this room that don't even believe in any of this. And so we're having a, a discussion from this one point of view. Okay. And that's all. So it is, it is to be fair, an interesting viewpoint that, you know, me being me, but still had, I've never even been exposed to this idea before. So, I mean, you know, you got to kind of appreciate the new thought, whether or not you agree with it. Sure. I mean, I could be wrong, but I don't know if anybody else in this room has been approached in this manner, like from this viewpoint before, right? No. No. Right. I hadn't either. And that's what was so shocking to me. And I didn't just jump on it because it seemed like it was the fun thing to do. It was so compelling. And so it seemed like it was so accurate. I was like, wow, this, I need to give this some more time. This is, it's really real to me. But I'm going to read that quote that Cherry read in the uh, Miracle of Birth episodes. And I'm just going to slow it down a little bit. So it says, we do not start our Christian lives by working out our faith for ourselves. And I want to stop there. When This is a, a quote by J.I. Packer, and he's trying to explain that when we are introduced, when we become Christians, that we don't start out like a clean slate and nobody's you know giving us nothing and we just learn all this and absorb on our own these things. There are, there are things on the outside of us that affect us, and that's how we grow, and that's how we learn. That's true for anything. But it, it's medi- he says it is mediated to us by Christian tradition in the form of sermons, books, and established patterns of church life and fellowship. We read our Bibles in the light of what we have learned from these sources. We approach Scripture with minds already formed by the mass of accepted opinions and viewpoints with which we have come into contact in both the church and the world. And that's so true. If you think about it, if you've, if you've sat under some preaching and they're teaching you the pre-tribulation rapture and they're reading the Bible from that perspective and you're in a collective group that all believe that and they're amening that and then you have a little study class and it's continuously perpetuating the same thing. You're not going to know of another way. This is the way that you've learned, and this is the way that you believe. And we put our trust and our faith, not just in God, but also in the people that we look up to. We put a lot of stock in our pastors and our deacons. You know, we look we look to them as if, you know, that we don't think of them as God, but we definitely give them like a higher place, I think, in our minds. We think that they they should be there. And Well, there's they're supposed to be experts, right? Uh no. No. No, not according to scripture. They're not supposed to be experts. They have a certain guidelines, like overseers of churches are supposed to have, you know, certain guidelines that they follow. You, you do kind of like culturally, at least, you do kind of people look to them to be uh, to answer sort of like life relevance questions sure. and to have enough knowledge of the book to be able to readily access it and use it to answer questions. I'm dubious about the way you know people reach in and grab. Bible verses, often with good intent, but but uh, but you kind of want somebody that has that knowledge, and, and whether or not biblically they're supposed to be sort of experts is the wrong word, but uh, well, they've definitely not, studied more than most, I would say, and, and yeah. they're viewed and they're viewed and treated that way. Though. Yes, well, it's not on purpose. It's not like people announce themselves as experts, but I mean that's how they're treated. Sure, you know, and, yeah, and I would people agree. want yeah. life advice. You yes, know? and that seems to be a reasonable place to get it. And if you're a Christian, you want Christian life advice, right? And so that's where you go right, to. You go totally. to that source, yeah. yeah. And I, I, that's really how it should be. I would say if it's, you know, if if that's your priority in life that you want to, you know, to get any kind of counseling, and you want it to be Christian counseling, then go seek out a Christian counselor. That's what you're looking for, right? So, 
that makes sense. But in this case, what he's trying to talk about is when you become a Christian, how certain things become a part of who you are. And so you believe specific things. And we grow and we get away from that somewhat, but sometimes it's hard to break that because it's so ingrained in who you are. He says, it's easy to be unaware that it has happened. It is hard even to begin to realize how profoundly tradition in this sense has molded us. But we are forbidden to become enslaved to human tradition, either secular or Christian, whether it be Catholic tradition or critical tradition or ecumenical tradition. We may never assume the complete rightness of our own established ways of thought and practice and excuse ourselves the duty of testing and reforming them by scriptures. When I started looking at the Olivet Discourse from this different perspective, and then I started seeing certain time statements, and it was like really kind of clicking in my head, that's this quote really came to mind because I was like, wow, I'm seeing something completely new. And rather than saying, no, this isn't possible, I said, is it possible? It's, uh, I mean, isolated, isolate that statement from this discourse about, you know, the Olivet and, and uh, the preterist viewpoint. It's an amazing statement because there are so many things, and because we're talking about this, it's just easy to say what I said before, that you don't even consider as options. You just, it's like, you're not even looking for different opinions on like that that preterist viewpoint. It's not like I spent a lot of time thinking about it, but just like the idea that there was more than one possibility mm-hmm. never even occurred to me. So yeah. it was a question I couldn't have asked. Sure. Does that make sense? Like, that's yes. wild. How many things in your life are just like that? Stuff where you aren't even informed enough to ask a damn question. Right. And let me tell you, it's a lot of shit. There's only so much time in a day, and a human, one human, can only know so much about so many things. Right. That's true. It's true. And I, you know, Billy, whenever um, I, I was listening to the previous podcast and and I had asked you if it was hurting your faith and the, and you guys were like, no, you know, it wasn't hurting. And I was thinking about it and I was like, that, that's really, that's awesome. Because I remember a time in my life where I felt afraid to branch out. And if I did, I felt like I would be judged by others if I did, or if I had a differing opinion, you know, and it, it was scary for me because I didn't, uh, you know, you want that love and respect and to the camaraderie and to be able to have that fellowship with people. And when I started getting some of these things from scripture and I started seeing them differently and I started being vocal about it, that's when it started to alienate me. That's when, and it happened where people would, oh, that's just Rick. He's being weird. You know, that's just Rick. That's how he, that's how he is, blah, blah, blah. I've said that. No, I I understand that. When Mm -hmm. I was a kid, several times people would say I was a doubting Thomas. I'm like, no, I'm not a doubting Thomas. I still believe. I just have a question about that particular thing. Right. Or I have a question about this. Just let's have a discussion about it. And some people you could have a discussion and some people you couldn't. But I, I agree with what you, what you say about how we interpret things. Sure. And it's, I'm not like, it kind of reminds me of the reformers, you know, when the reformation took place and like John Calvin and Ulrich Zwingli and, you know, those men that were brave enough to stand up and say like Martin Luther, for instance, to, to stand up and say, okay, I've read the scripture and these are the things that I see about your church that are wrong. And they reformed the church. That's when it happened. I get the impression that Martin Luther was, a madman, not necessarily incorrect yeah. in the way he changed the church, but a mad hatter. Yeah. When they talk about him like throwing an inkwell at, you know, like at the wall and screaming, get behind me, Satan, and doing all that stuff, I wonder, you know, what was he really seeing? You know, like what was going on in his mind? You can be crazy and right at the he same was time. sure of his convictions. Yeah. And, you know, going after people for it, saying, look. I'm crazy and right all the time. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to disagree with you. Thank you, Billy. <laughs> yeah. If you saw sure. the look in your eyes, you wouldn't either. Yeah. Well, so anyway, as as we get into this this particular episode. Never tell my mom I said that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Sorry, that was too late. That joke was too late, but I had to put it in anyway. Start, go ahead. You know, you have the power to edit that baby closer if you like. <laughs> put yourself in correct <laughs> No. So, just, I'm going to read this, this, uh, the scripture that we read in the last episode too. It says, 
Second uh, Timothy three sixteen seventeen. All Scripture is inspired by God. This is a different version. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. If you think about that, that is a very profound statement. It says, "Yes, take that, take that one word." Yeah, which one? Inspired. Inspired. Yeah. Read it again. All scripture is inspired by God. The other ones say all scripture is God breathed or breathed out by God. Yeah, they're a little well, bit of a different sentence. So one, one of the things I wanted to say about that, and I, I might save it for later, uh, or I was thinking about saving it for later, but I like the inspired because if you look in the Bible, people say, well, this was written and you have to take everything literally. But the only thing we really take literally are the red words yeah. in the New Testament. I don't see any red words in the Old Testament. Right. I have a I have a red letter Old Testament Bible. Do you really? I do. Yeah, there was some people that were crazy enough to put when God spoke to be red in the That's Old Testament. Yeah, it is, and it was a large print, and I could read it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we know we've been through the abomination of desolation, and we've talked about the possibility of a great tribulation of the past, and then we talked about how it was so bad that if it hadn't have been for the elect. Then, you know, if it hadn't been for God shortening the time frame of that tribulation, that the elect wouldn't have made it. And then we talked about how Christ comes like lightning. And I said we were going to stop because we're getting ready to take a hard left. And we are. Um, but there was something that kind of hit me um, that it, it's something that Jesus did right after he had been tempted by the devil. Okay, remember he was tempted in the three ways, and then he successfully overcomes this temptation of the devil. And it says that in the book of Luke, chapter 4, he goes back home where he was raised, to Nazareth. And this kind of hit me because I thought, all right, this is probably going to be the right time to bring this out, because we're getting ready to take a hard left with the sun, moon, and stars, and we're, we're going to do a a pretty in-depth study of that because you have to know that this comes from Old Testament language. He's not talking about the world being destroyed. He's talking about something completely different. And the Bible teaches us how he's talking and why he's saying it the way he is. But I want to show you what a masterful rabbi that Jesus was. So in Luke chapter 4, starting at verse 16, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. I'm going to stop there and then we'll continue on with 22. Let's use audience relevance for a minute. You're in his hometown. He was raised in Nazareth. He's the son of a carpenter. He's went away. He's gotten baptized. He's went into the desert. He's been away for a little while. And then he comes back. He goes into the synagogue which was his custom, something that he does. And they give him the prophet Isaiah and he reads it. And then he sits down and looks at him and says, I just fulfilled that prophecy in front of you. Just imagine what that must be like. I mean, that, you know, so let's listen to how they respond. It says, verse 22, and all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. So that was the first response. Like, oh, what? Like, is it, is this happening? And they said, is not this Joseph's son? So they knew him. Mm -hmm. And they're like, well, wait a minute. He's the son of the carpenter, right? How could he be this guy? Verse 23, and he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. So why do you think he's saying that? Jesus is telling them, you're, you're, in your hearts, this is what you're thinking. Well, if you really are who you say Prove you are, it. I want to see some... 
Right, prove it. Uh, we need, yeah, prove yeah, we, it to we, me. We know you, and we don't know that. So yeah, I've seen see you it. take a hammer and hit a nail, but I haven't ever seen you, you know, do any of this. You know, this is what he says after that. And he said, verse twenty-four. And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. Now watch their response to that. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. So why do you think they got so angry? Can you... So I hate to do this. Can you sum up that verse for me? Because I don't even understand what's going on. You don't sum nope. up. Well, so he's saying to them, he just told them while he's in the synagogue, he just said, I just fulfilled it. And they're like, hey, prove it. Dummy language. Perfect. Yeah. And so he says, um, I, I'm going to tell you the truth. When Elijah the prophet was here and the, and the rains were you know, stopped for three and a half years, mm-hmm. there was all kinds of people suffering in Israel. But he only went to one woman who was not a Jew. Jew. She was from Sidon. And then he said there was a lot of lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. Okay? Mm -hmm. There was a lot of them. But he only healed the Syrian. But he only healed another Gentile, Naaman the Syrian. (laughs) When they heard that, then they were pissed. Why? Because he's saying when these things happen, when there's judgment that's on you, I give mercy to the Gentile, not to you. So they're pissed. It says, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him off the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. So he escapes. It's one of those moments where I think he disappeared or something. He just just had this ability to like go through the crowd, you know, cloak and dagger. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So as we can see, Jesus was fleet of foot. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So this is something that I discovered. I went back to Isaiah 61, which is what he was reading out of the scroll. And listen to this. This is incredible. This is the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and to, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he stops, but listen to the next line. He stopped, right? And said, this has been fulfilled today in your, in your eyes. The very next line is, and the day of vengeance of our God. So he stopped short of that. So when he comes and he begins his ministry, he talks about this moment where he's coming to his own, but it's not the time of vengeance yet. That's why he stops when he does on that quote. So, the vengeance of our God part doesn't come until we get to where we are in the Olivet Discourse. This is where in Matthew 23, when he is proclaimed woe on the city, and he says that it's coming, and then whenever the disciples are asking him, he's telling them how this is going to go down. I came to you, and you rejected me. And so, and he, he says this beautifully. He says, I'm going to leave your house desolate. But you see, that was God's house. That was the house that Solomon built for God. That was the house that was rebuilt that by Herod for God. It was God's house. They would call it God's house. He said it was your house. They had turned it into their own den of thieves. They were, they were a den of thieves. They were robbing from the people. No one. They had all kinds of things there, like Baal and everything else. Did they there at his time? Like they did earlier in time, but I don't know. Yeah, they did point. early in time, but still, they were they were worshiping other gods in Christ's time too. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely, I'm sure. So he breaks it up there, and so now when he's in front of the disciples, this is the moment when he begins to proclaim the vengeance of our God on the people of Israel. We have to understand these were his people, and he was proclaiming judgment on them. And that's a big deal. You've got to, you have to remember that. 
So I'm going to read each one of the accounts of uh, verse 29 and 30 of Matthew, and then I'll read from Luke and Mark as well. Well, he this, was really good at ticking off the Jews. <laughs> he, he certainly was. Yeah. It's, it's, it's no coincidence that the, 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 the beginning of the church was the, the fueled through the Gentiles. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. So, we're going to go to Matthew 24 again. I'm going to read 29 and 30. Now, this, I love the way Andy put it. He said, man, this thing takes a hard left. So, here we are. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So he's been talking about famines, pestilences, earthquakes you know, armies, you name it, all these things are going to happen. But then he says, basically, the whole universe is going to explode. I mean, that's what it sounds like, doesn't it? If you're reading in modern English, that's exactly what it sounds that's, like. It does sound pretty bad. It does. And so, let's go to Luke chapter 21. I'll read 25 through 28. It says, And there will be signs and sun and moon and stars, and on the earth distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what it what is coming on the world for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the son of man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to take place, let's stay in audience relevance, please. When these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Remember he's talking talking to the disciples. Yes. Your redemption is coming near. When you see the universe exploding, your and redemption's coming near. I, I wonder what that's translated from, the part about the the the, the universe exploding. I'm doing air quotes. And it's, yeah, it's not, it's not the universe exploding. This is apocalyptic literature from the Old Testament that I'm going to read later. He is literally proclaiming judgment, the way that God, through his prophets in the Old Testament, proclaimed judgment on a nation. So, it was familiar language to a certain extent. To them. To them. Yeah. To them, it was and familiar that, yes. language. Yeah. And that's the point about audience relevance, is that if we don't go back to them in their culture with what they understood, we'll miss it. We are giving up the three quarters of the Bible that those people already had in their minds. And we're reading it with modern American minds, and we're thinking, oh, man, we're going to see the sun be dark. We're going to see blood moons. You know, We're going to see stars falling from the—do you know what would happen to the earth if one single star fell to the earth? Does anybody have an idea how big stars actually are? It kind of goes the other way. It's what the happens other way. is, yeah, the Earth falls to the star. That's right, because the star is bigger than our planet. You know, so just keep that in mind when you're thinking about stars falling to the sky. It's not a little tiny meteor here. It's so anyway. We'll get to Mark um, chapter 13. This is the same thing, but it's just in a different gospel, starting with verse 24. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. So, if you read this, our modern commentators of today and the people that are teaching dispensationalism are talking about this as being the end of time. That, that's what we've been taught. Okay, so I'm begging you guys to just do a paradigm shift with me and try to learn what's coming from the Old Testament so that when we hear Jesus, we can actually hear what he's saying. Because this is devastating. This is the most devastating thing that was uttered from his lips. His very own people that he had called on from the promise all the way back to Abraham have rejected the son. They've rejected him. And this is the end. They were blind. They were deaf. They, they, they were done. I mean, because of their, their hard hearts, they just they, they killed the Son of God. Right? Well, that's the only way to get yourself out of heaven is to, by, by saying no to him, by rejecting him. Sure. Absolutely. Again, like with what I was saying about the Old Testament, I'm going to use some words from Paul to explain the culture of their time, and then I'm going to read some of the Old Testament quotes, Okay. So, when Paul was defending himself in Acts chapter 26, this is a quote that he says, And so, having obtained help from God, I stand to this day, testifying both to small and great, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place. 
So Paul put all his stock in the Old Testament. That was his life. He was a Pharisee. He knew it, and he said, I am preaching this gospel, but I am saying nothing more than what Moses, the law, and the prophets said. So if he said that, I think it's safe to say that we can say that too. We can go back and look at the things that he was talking about. Okay? So this is this is sort of an introduction into apocalyptic language. Andy, I think I'm going to do a second part to this, but it's just going to be you and I, okay. because it's going to be like <laughs> a bunch, a bunch of quotes. I'm going to read them all. And I want it so that if anybody wants to listen and are driving down the road, they'll hear all of these quotes from the Old Testament. And then I'll read Jesus's last, and you'll see if you can't see what I'm talking about. It will actually start to make sense. So let's use in Psalms, this is a, a sort of a light, apocalyptic language light. It kind of gives you an idea. All right. 101. Yeah, exactly. So in Psalms 114, verse 1 through 4, it says, When Israel went forth from Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of strange language, Judah became his sanctuary, Israel his dominion. The sea looked and fled, the Jordan turned back, the mountains skipped like rams, the hills like lambs. So my question is, can mountains skip like rams? Uh, you hope you better hope not. <laughs> exactly. So the point is, is that the the author is trying to give you something to envision. There's some feeling that you're going to get from this. This is apocalyptic language that is used. So mountains don't skip, but you kind of get it. You get the feeling, like this. You well, know, something else I'd like to say about that. And we've said this before. Um, everything back then that was told in stories and it had to be because most people didn't read or write and most people weren't educated. Right. So you had to talk about things in the language that they could understand, which to Andy's uh, question earlier, can you put that in layman's terms? Mm -hmm. This was putting things in layman's terms uh, for them, for the people at the time that they could understand. Right. Colorful. It's very poetic. Oh, yes. Well, and that's funny you say that because I have written here prose, the flow of speech and structure. The poets were the writers of the day. Yeah, that makes sense. Sure. Because they'd have been the storytellers. Exactly. Yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. So, it's colorful language so that people, so the layman could understand. And still some of that hellfire and brimstone, hellstone, hellfire and brimstone thrown in there for effect. <laughs> right, yeah. So let's go all the way back to Genesis. We're going to start there in Genesis chapter 37. Uh, there is, uh, I've talked about this before, guys. This is that moment whenever Joseph has a dream and he tries to describe it to his brothers and, and his father. Now he had still another dream and related it to his brothers and said, Lo, I have had still another dream, and behold, the sun and the moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. So, first of all, we know that he's relating it to his brothers, but is he thinking that the sun, moon, and eleven stars are actually bowing down to him? No. <laughs> I would assume no. Yes. Right. So, if you go to the next verse, verse 10, it says, and he related it to his father and to his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have had? Shall I and your mother and your brothers actually come to bow ourselves down before you to the ground? So, the sun was the father, the moon was the mother, and the 11 stars were his 11 brothers. This mm -hmm. is the 12 tribes of Israel. This oh. is the core of Israel. Jo Jacob's yeah, yeah. name was changed to Israel. This is where the nation of Israel come from. So, the very beginning, sun, moon, and stars is the representation of Israel. So, when he says, the would the sun, the moon, and the seven stars bow before you, is he trying to highlight the unlikelihood of that? No, actually, okay. he's telling a prophecy. Oh, it's a prophecy. It, okay. He doesn't know it. It's okay. a dream that he had, and he's trying to tell his brothers and his father that he sees them bowing to him. Yeah. What he doesn't know, and what most people don't, if you haven't read the scripture, is that Joseph ends up being the second in command in Egypt during one of the worst famines in the history of mankind. And they do. And they come down, and they bow before him, thinking that he's this powerful man. And he doesn't tell him who he is. <laughs> But he feeds them, right? And then he reveals himself, and then everybody's, you know, obviously elated. First bring my dad back. Yeah. So it's just really, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a story about Israel is what it's about, you know? And this is prior to Moses. This is long before the people have been brought. This is when they first come to Egypt. The famine brought the people to Egypt, 
Then after this Pharaoh that is so kind to Joseph, the next Pharaoh forgets about Joseph, doesn't care, and enslaves the people of Israel for 400 years, which is what God told Abraham would happen. So the sun, moon, and stars in the initial time you hear about it is a representation of the nation of Israel. And that's just, it's understood, you know, and the Hebrew people know this. So, from there, let's talk about, the, now let's get into the actual apocalyptic language that sounds like the things that Jesus is saying. All of the Hebrew prophets use this kind of language, especially whenever God was talking about the judgment of a specific nation. It wasn't just a judgment on Israel. This could be judgments on other nations that God would come and want to wipe out these people. So let's start in the book of Isaiah chapter 13. I, I may have read this to you before, but uh, we'll continue on anyway. So it says, the oracle concerning Babylon, which Isaiah the son of Amos saw. The word oracle, the Hebrew word is massa, and it means an utterance chiefly of doom. That's what oracle means in the Hebrew oh, language, okay? Well, that's kind of fun. Yeah, it's I, beautiful. I wonder if our use of oracle it comes from there. I don't know. Or are they, you know, one of those cases of similar words that kind of come from different the places? The only time I ever heard of oracle, really thought of oracle, is either a computer software company or it was in the Matrix, and it was that person that could tell the future of yeah, Neo. Yeah, but I mean, I think the use of oracle... Comes way before me. Oh, sure, sure. I'm just saying my understanding of the word. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. I don't. Utterance of doom. Yeah. Utterance well, chiefly heavy. of doom. Yeah. It's pretty, it is heavy. So continuing on in 13, drop down to six. It says, Wail for the day of the Lord is near. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel with fury and burning anger, to make the land a desolation and he will exterminate its sinners from it. Now, listen carefully, guys. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not flash forth their light. The sun will be dark when it rises, and the moon will not shed its light. Thus I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will also put an end to the arrogance of the proud and abase the haughtiness of the ruthless. I will make mortal man scarcer than pure gold and mankind the gold of Ophir. Therefore, I shall make the heavens tremble, and the earth will be shaken from its place at the fury of the Lord of hosts in the day of his burning anger. This is Isaiah 13. This is Old Testament. It sounds very familiar, sounds very though. Old Testament. And it sounds familiar, doesn't it? When Jesus takes the hard left, we kind of, we go with him and think it's the world ending. And this sounds like world ending. Mm -hmm. But keep in mind, this is an oracle concerning Babylon, not the whole world. It just sounds like it's the whole world because, like you said, these people are using simple language for layman. They're saying, Babylon is going to be utterly destroyed. Their world is over. And yeah, that it was, is the end of their world. It's the end yeah, of the Babylonian as, as Empire. It. That's the end of their world as they know it. But I feel fine. No, he's talking about their gods. But I feel gods. fine. <laughs> what did you say? But he was, he was saying that, that their gods, he was pointing out, he was talking about their gods. Yeah, he was actually talking about the Babylonian Empire because it's actually destroyed and Medo-Persians come and take over. Because look at the next verse, Isaiah 13, 17, this is what he says, Behold, I am going to stir up the Medes against them who will not value silver or take pleasure in gold. In other words, when God proclaims a judgment, he uses another nation to do it. And this happens over and over and over and over. God proclaims judgment, says, I'm going to do all these things. I'm going to ride in on a swift cloud. I'm going to do this, and then it's another nation that does it. It's a nation that he rose up to take out the others. It's over. It's constantly here. This actual event of the Babylonian destruction by the Medes was in 539 BC. That actually, it happened, okay? And so, let's, let's look at another one, Isaiah 34. Now, it's the same kind of thing, but it's for a different nation. It's Edom, E-D-O-M, okay? 34, starting in verse 3, Isaiah 34, 3. So their slain will be thrown out, and their corpses will give off their stench, and the mountains will be drenched with their blood, and all the hosts of heaven will wear away, and the sky will be rolled up like a scroll. All their hosts will also wither away as a leaf withers from the vine, for as one withers from the fig tree. For my sword is satiated in heaven. Behold, it shall descend for judgment upon Edom and upon the people whom I have devoted to destruction." 
I mean, that's, it sounds like the world exploding. That, that one sounds like, I mean, the language is huge, but that one's just talking about a specific place, right? Pretty clearly. This is a, this is Edom. Yeah. Yeah. So because, I mean, it sounds like the world exploding, but it's like, it's definitely clearly saying it about a specific location. Sure. Yep. Yeah. Except for the sky rolls up like a squirrel. Yeah, that could happen. The reason that the could sky- happen as far as the eye can see without it really being all that big. The Edomites believe that three of their gods lived in the sky. Oh, okay. So it's so all the of it sky to rolled them. up like a scroll. Yeah, like he I said rolls earlier, them up. He's yeah. talking about their gods. That's right. Yeah. Yep. Very good. Well, that's good. That's Here's fine. another one. Uh, Nahum. In in the book of Nahum, you go to chapter one, verse one through five. The oracle. Remember, an utterance chiefly of doom, of Nineveh, the city of Nineveh. The book of the vision of Nahum the Elkishite. A jealous and avenging God is the Lord. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserves wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and the Lord will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. In whirlwind and storm in his way, and clouds are the dust beneath his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither. The blossoms of Lebanon wither. Mountains quake because of him, and the hills dissolve. Indeed, the earth is upheaved by his presence the world and all the inhabitants in it. The world and all its inhabitants in it. Yeah, it's pretty big. Yeah. It was Nineveh. It's Nineveh. It's not the whole world. It's Nineveh. Because this is the nation that gets destroyed. It's Nineveh. But it sounds like it's the whole world. Listen, the world and all the inhabitants in it. Obviously, the whole world wasn't destroyed whenever Nineveh was destroyed. It's their world. That's the way that it's seen. That's this is how they're speaking. It's judgment. This is judgment. So it's apocalyptic if you were them. It's a, yeah. absolutely. Well, and back then they only knew their world. You know? That's true. Most like how much travel. would you know of a hundred miles from your home? It, it might as well be Mars. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It might as well be. So let's uh, Ezekiel thirty-two. Here's another one, guys. This is a um, judgment on Egypt. And when I extinguish you, uh, hold on, Ezekiel 32, starting with verse 7. And when I extinguish you, I will cover the heavens and darken their stars. I will cover the sun with a cloud, and the moon shall not give its light. All the shining lights in the heavens I will darken over you and will set darkness on your land, declares the Lord God. Sounds sort of similar to what Jesus is saying, correct? Mm Mm-hmm. Here's what Daniel says, Daniel chapter 8, verse 10. And it grew up to the host of heaven and caused some of the host and some of the stars to fall to the earth, and it trampled them down. This is all apocalyptic language, okay? Now that we've done all this, and like I said, we're going to do another episode because there's probably about 55, I think, more of these oracles that I can read from Uh that use the heaven, the sun, the stars, these things. So that we understand. And the reason I'm driving this home is because we have to understand that Jesus is using the language that they know about the judgment and he's proclaiming it on their own nation. He's talking to the Jews in front of him saying, I'm going to destroy everything about your world. It's over and you're going to die. They loved him. Yeah, I mean, this is something, right? <laughs> yeah. Nailed him to a cross. Yeah. So, Acts chapter 2. We know this very well. This is when Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit and he stands up and he preaches for the first time, right? I want you to listen very closely. Think about what we've been reading and listen closely to what Peter says, starting at verse 14 in chapter two. But Peter, taking his stand with the 11, because Judas had committed suicide, raised his voice and declared to them, men of Judea and all Of you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. You know, we've talked about that. It's only 9 a.m. Now listen, but this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. Here's another prophet. And it shall and it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my spirit upon all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophecy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even upon my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit, and they shall prophecy. Now Did he say even upon my blonde slaves? Bond. <laughs> okay. Because I was like, that's that's they had sex trafficking specific. back then too, bro. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so bond slave, sorry. Okay. So the thing that I wanted, before we get into the next part of this, this part where he's preaching, notice what he says. He says, 
what's happening in front of you right now is what the prophet Joel said. Did he not just say that? Yep. And listen to what Joel said, and it shall be in the last days. The last days. Yeah, the last days of them. The last days. Yes, it shall be in the last days. Remember that. So let's go on down to to, uh, verse 21. And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. It sounds so familiar. Jesus in, uh, says it here. Let's look at Mark again, Mark 13, 24. But in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from the heaven and the powers that are in the heavens will be shaken. Jesus is not talking about the destruction of the world. He's talking about judgment on the nation of Israel, period. That's what's happening. Anybody disagree with that now? I don't want to read all those other ones, but I will in another show. You'll have to listen to it. We don't have that kind of time. So I'm going to read, if you remember, I talked about John Nelson Darby, who was the one that created, you know, the rapture, a dispensational theory, you know, back in the day. Here is some contemporaries of his, okay, at that time that were, that were saying- When's this again, just for reference? 1830. 1830. Now, this is when he came up with it. These guys were before him, during him, and after him. This is what they say in regard to what John Nelson Darby is saying, but also what the Bible says. They're talking about this apocalyptic literature. It says, From these quotations, it is apparent that there is scarcely an expression employed in Matthew and Luke, which has not been taken from the Old Testament scriptures. Such apocalyptic forms of speech are not to be assumed to convey in the New Testament a meaning different from that which they bear in the Hebrew scriptures. They are part and parcel of the genius of prophetic language. That was Milton Terry in 1898. Here's Samuel Hines in 1829. It requires but a slender acquaintance with the writings of the Old Testament prophets to enable us to observe the peculiarity. It is not only figurative, but the figures are of the boldest kind, involving analogies so remote as in some instances to be scarcely discoverable. If revolutions in empires be the subject, the prophetic representation is filled with disturbance of the laws of the natural world, and the sun, moon, and stars are exhibited in commotion. If a deliverer is promised to the Jews, the prophet expresses the promise by the rising of a star and the like. So again, he's saying this is apocalyptic literature. This is coming from the Old Testament. It's not what this dude over here is saying. It's not like that. You need to know the rest of your Bible. So this is from a this is from a sermon given on a, April nineteenth, sixteen forty nine, that was released in a book. It's Doctor John Owen, and it was released in seventeen twenty one, which is a hundred and nine years before John Nelson Darby. Not to hold you too long upon what is so plain and evident. You may take it for a rule that in the denunciations of the judgments of God through all the prophets, heaven, sun, moon, stars, and the like, appearing beauties, and glories of the respectable heavens are taken for governments, governors, dominions, and political states, and can be found in Isaiah, Jeremiah, Psalms, Joel, Revelation, Matthew, Luke, Isaiah, Obadiah, Revelation. I mean, like he just goes on and on, like giving you all these options. So now I'm going to read from the one of the most symbolic books in all the Bible, Revelation, and we'll close this one. And then I'll do the next episode, guys, without everybody, and I'll, I'll give you some more to read from. And I'm also going to put this on our website. I'm going to have a giant list of notes that people can go and review if you want to. And then if you have any further questions, then you can always message us on either our Facebook or through our email, info at com. So Revelation chapter 6, verse 13. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree casts its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. And the sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up. And every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who is able to stand? It kind of reminds you of what Jesus said when he was on the way to the cross, doesn't it? I sent you a message earlier today about how long was Jesus' ministry, and I said it was roughly three and a half years. 
And then how long is this part of the tribulation? It was three and a half years. And how there was this disconnect I saw from, from Revelation and Daniel. I was like doing the study and I'm like, huh? But this, this, what, what I just said from Revelation, and the, I always thought that time in Revelation was in succession. And I learned that it's not. If you read Revelation, it's actually time jumps around in Revelation. And I had no idea, but it, it all of a sudden it makes sense now. In Luke 23, when Jesus is on his way to be crucified, it says in uh, 23 verse 28, but Jesus turning to them said, he's carrying the cross right now. And they've spit upon him, they're beating him. Even at that time, even the thieves are yelling at him that are behind him, right? He's carrying this cross through. Daughters of Jerusalem, stop weeping for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren, and the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills cover us. I think it's obvious. It looks like Revelation is quoting Jesus' words. It's almost identical. So I want to end it there, and on the next episode... Um, the next side study, it's going to, it's probably going to be called notes on, you know, apocalyptic literature, but I'm going to read all of the rest uh, of these verses. So it kind of gives you some context. When it takes the hard left, Jesus is a prophet. Jesus is telling them that your, this nation is done. And it was in AD 70, 40 years after he uttered those words. And we can't negate that as believers, that has to mean something to us. And we keep looking forward to another temple, and I feel like it's a mistake. I think we need to get back to this, where Jesus was, keep it relevant to the audience, and really begin to understand how the book of Revelation was written to the people in the first generation and what it meant to them, and then it will make more sense to us today. Well, it's, it's funny you say that, because you, know, you and I talked recently, and I said I would love to be able to do a study of... Jesus through the eyes of the people around him. And in order to do that, you have to be in that time and yes. have an understanding of who those people were and what they knew and what they didn't know. And most of them didn't know anything. And, and to your point about the people that wrote the Bible and the words that are in the Bible, those people that wrote, especially the New Testament, they were raised on the Old Testament and the wording and the prose of the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. And so that's all they knew because they didn't go to school and they didn't learn this. They learned how to be a carpenter. They learned right. how to be a stonemason. They they you know they learned a trade. They didn't go to school to learn how to read, write, and do arithmetic. Right. So the only learning they had was in the synagogue. Yes. And so everything that they knew, all of the writings and the way to talk and to, to, to write like this, uh, what was in that language? Sure. And that's... And it was the language of the day because that was the only thing that was taught. Right. Is I'm just curious, Ralph, is what I'm saying tonight, like, is it making sense? Oh, this is, this is like, you and I differ on a lot of things and we, we sit, like, we agree on Jesus and God and a lot of things, but then we, you know, kind of differ on a lot of things. This is something that, like, we're, like, right on the same path. Yeah, so... We are, like, I, I mean, everything I have here backs up, you know, literalism and uh, human ethics. I mean, all of this stuff, uh, I, it's, I've always believed that. I, like I said, when I was a kid, they said I was the Doubting Thomas, and it wasn't because I was the Doubting Thomas. I believe in Jesus. Right. I believe in God. Um, I believe in the miracles, and I believe anything is possible. Uh, I, I mean, I do. So I believe all of this stuff, even that colorful language, I believe it's all possible, but I believe that they were talking to people where they were mm -hmm. and in the language they could understand. I think we, we do the same thing today. I have a 15 and a 14-year-old girl at home, mm -hmm. and they're on these phones all the time and the social <laughs> media and everything. And we have had extensive conversations, and I've actually had to learn their language, and I've had to learn an entire new culture because it's a complete culture shift. Yeah. It's a, it's it's a, the, the kids of today in, in in ten twenty years we're going to have a whole shakeup in the world, uh, and and in work and in in, in psychotherapy in, in my opinion just because people don't know how to talk to each other. Anymore. I mean, uh, look, every older generation always says that, but this mm, one is especially true. weird. This one is this, this one really this is, is bizarre, remake. man. Not this because is a different. It's a different, and and I'm a firm believer in what Rick just said. Every generation bitches about the next generation. It's just. What it is, but I'm not there complaining. Is a, I've there just is had a to difference. Learn a there is new. a difference in 
a revolution in communication from the other sort of technological revolutions we've had in the past. Oh, absolutely. That is a different sort of thing. It is is completely, completely different. So our audience knows apparently emojis with teeth are now cringe. <laughs> Just FYI. Neat. Emojis with teeth are now cringe. I don't know that I've seen emoji with teeth. Yeah, a lot of the smiley, laughy ones. I'll have, they to go, got teeth in them. I'll have to go look at my daughter's phone. Oh, they're wow. crying, laughing ones. they're not on mine. <laughs> yeah, yeah so now when you look they're at them, that phone. actually means that you're cringing? No, 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 no. They're, they're, they're cringe. Uh, that doesn't mean you're yeah. cringing. Just uh, apparently emojis with teeth are now cringe. Ah, so. oh, very cool. Yeah, so no emojis with teeth, people. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm so lost. <laughs> so lost. I hey, just, when I, you do this follow-up, can you do what Andy said and... Uh, because sometimes we throw words around like hermeneutics and, and, and different things. Uh, and I know there's a lot of people out there that are new to a lot of things. And I'd like to just have you as you're going through some of this. Um, I try to bring slow it them down, down when to, I can, bring but it, bring sometimes it down to, I gloss over. Bring it down. To, which is yeah. why I, you know, sometimes, well, most of the time when we go through this, if you'll say a word nine times out of ten, I've already got it uh, written and highlighted. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know. Uh, uh, you know, Ermanetics attempts to determine the lessons taught by the Bible in its original historic setting and then apply those lessons to life in the present era. Mm-hmm. Hermeneutics, um, right? Yes. That's one of the hermeneutics. Hermeneutics. That's one of the hermeneutics, yes. yeah. And that, and so if you, when you're doing that, I think that's a perfect time for you to uh, put in some explanations of things so that people can understand it a little bit better. Because a lot of this stuff, I mean, I have to read the things that you do, and then I have to go back and I have to read the scripture, and then I have to think about it, and then I have to come and think, okay, what did they think back then, and what do we think today? And that's why I like Melissa Scott so much, because she keeps me remembering that this was written in this language, translated into this language, and now we have it, and we're completely, like you said in one of your notes that you send us, that this is from Eastern philosophy to us here in the West, and we are totally uh, a different culture completely. Sure. Uh, so, you know, knowing all of those different things, if you could just... And that's why, like, if I'm reading, like, when I'm reading those quotes, I'm actually hoping that you guys are honing in on those words that sound familiar to what Jesus is saying. I don't need you to understand every single thing. And I'll say, and right. now the check this out. Of every like, quote. here's yeah. the here's the sun's darkened, or here's the moon losing its light. This has been said five, six, 28 times in the Old Testament. So if they're saying it in the Old Testament and you look at each example, that's what I'm trying to, I'm trying to hone in on the examples so that you can see, okay, Isaiah was giving an oracle to Babylon. The language sounds exactly like Christ talked but then a nation, the Medes, came in and destroyed Babylon. So the example is that when they use this apocalyptic literature, it's God saying, I'm going to do it, but it's a nation doing it to another nation. Yes, and, and I agree with you, and, and that's a great way to uh, analogy. And, and if you would do that when you do this next one several times for people to understand that. Sure, I will do, I'll do my best to try to remember to do it that way. You, you, you dive deep into these, and I have to study to keep up with you. And that's the only way I can sit here and talk and say something, because if I don't think I know what I'm talking about, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. Yeah. So uh, you have been a great inspiration to me, and you make me study and think and uh, do lots of things. And yeah, then I, I just I, don't. I, w- I don't want people to. Uh, if people are going to be complacent, then be complacent. Go for it. But if you're going to study, and that's what you want to do, and you want to study with me, then we're going to get deep, and we're going to talk about why. If I say, okay, I believe this. I'm coming from some. I'm not just making it up. I understand that, and I study it. I have to study it to understand you, mm-hmm. so that I can talk with you. I'm just asking you to remember that not everybody else is doing this, right? And to kind of do some explanations along the way to help our viewers out. Yeah, and when our viewers, we're yes. on TV now. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> our listeners. Them. <laughs> well, you know, and, and we'll close. We'll close on this, but you know. Billy, so you sat here and you listened to this, this whole, did you see the examples from the Old Testament that I was? Yeah. Well, you've done this two or three times now. Yeah. In the last few podcasts we've done, you've, you've said this and then you've found places in the Bible where it says it. So that really helps me out. Okay. That's why I like reading your notes. Yeah. So 
Um, I need yeah, to put yeah. the notes on the website if people want to read them. That's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. That's I mean, a really good idea. A great idea. I mean, you put time into those notes, you might as well get oh, another absolutely. use out of them. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. you guys have got to understand I'm cutting and pasting and stealing from all kinds of people that and write. I, like, and I I'm wouldn't just mind regurgitating you. it, right? So, high school through early college. Is Pretty what much you're is what I'm saying yeah. is that if you would like, highlight some of the words from my notes, do one of those searches to see if I'm one of those people that steal. What do they call that? The people that. Plagiarism? Yeah. yeah. See if it's, do a plagiarism website. And you'll notice, man, that guy steals from everybody. Yes, I do. I find the people and I'm I'm like, okay, I agree. And then I, that's where I get my notes from. I write a lot of it, but I also, you know, when I'm getting these quotes, it's not like I'm typing it out, like I'm copying and pasting. We well, can always know. tell when you're writing and when you're copying. But, yeah. uh, you know, and, and I wouldn't mind even sharing because, you know, I bring notes every time too. Yeah. So, you know, I've got, a, I've always got a Wikipedia of mm-hmm. something. This one is of biblical literalism. Um, this one is uh, from the Christian Bible reference site. Should the Bible be interpreted literally? So I'm I go and do research uh, among reading the the chapters that you put forth as well. Right. And yeah, I wouldn't and mind sharing that. Yeah. How about? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, Let's do yeah. that. Yeah. And Cherry, um, you and I have talked so much back and forth. You know. You know, are, how how are you doing with the study? Like, are you doing like? What do you think? Do you think that I'm off my the Jesus lit off my cracker here? Honestly, no, I don't think it. Uh, Not pertaining to this. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously, I had never even been introduced to uh, different views. I mean, you hear of different doctrines. You know, mm-hmm. when you first get saved. Um, and then, of course, I've read the futuristic view, the idealist view, the historicist view, now the preterist view. Um, honestly, at this point, I mean, I guess I kind of look at it like, uh, look at the different doctrines. Mm-hmm. Each of them kind of got a piece. Right. But they can't all put it together. Sure. So, I mean, I think it's definitely worth reading and, and um, researching. Obviously, the Bible tells us to study it. And uh, several, yeah. And so, so many people have before us obviously spent lifetimes studying and studying different languages and cultures, and you know, all that definitely is the most important thing about being able to read anything, whether it be the Bible or anything else. If you're going to read something that's been written by anybody other than you, you're going to have to be able to come to a point where you can understand where the writer or writers is coming from, their settings, their cultures time frame, all that. So, you know, I mean, I don't look at it and think you're crazy or anything. Um, I guess they'll best say that, you know, like Ralph said, we can disagree on a lot of things. I may read something, not see it the way you see it. You know, so it's plainly right here. And then in my mind, though, it's not plainly right there. Mm -hmm. But if we can agree that, you know, Jesus is Jesus and he's the only way to heaven and that's your salvation. Sure. I don't. And, at and we this can point, debate the rest yeah, of it until eternity. Exactly. You know, I'm right um, there with you. I, that's well put. I heard a preacher this past Sunday said, "You know, I'm glad when I get to heaven, it ain't going to be that you know we're Pentecostals over here, Episcopalians over here." He said, "We're all going to be children of Christ when we right. get there." And yeah, so, all going to be Christians. The, yeah, know, right down to that one word. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, reading it, studying it, actually has actually helped me grow more in um, my spiritual life, actually. Yeah. And it's made you talk more here, too. You're more <laughs> confident in talking here because I, 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 I sense your confidence. There, there are times where you're meek and quiet, and for the last several times we've been together, you've been right there put together, you know, putting your two cents in. Well, yeah. I can say this personally. Um, either way, whether it's from a futurist view and I live to see a rapture or I live to be 100 years old and have millions of family members that I witnessed to or whatever. Either way, I'm leaving. Yeah. And all I want to know is when I go, he's who I'm seeing. Right. That's all that matters to me. Andy, whenever, um, from your perspective, you're, you know, 
And I appreciate the fact that you sit in and listen. You know, I'm glad that you're a part of the podcast because you easily could just sit back in the control room and just. Oh, he participates too. I know. I love that. He's informed. But I don't know about informed. That might be more uh, credit than I'm due. No, you're informed. You may not be a Christian, but you're informed. Right. And I'm curious, you know, you're hearing us talk about all these, all this crazy stuff that's coming out of the Bible. You know, does it. Does it change your opinion of us at all, listening to us talk about all these things? No, because you just don't sound like... It, like, you're talking about stuff where I don't necessarily believe, like, the letter of the miracles and things like that, but you don't talk like crazy people. Does yeah. that make sense? There's yeah. nothing... Yeah, nobody's makes, yeah. nobody's yeah, saying anything that's just like... Like huge logical leaps, g- given what you're talking right. about, and like absurd, like uh, absurd what misuse of the material and that kind of stuff. That's all the big warning signs. Does yeah. that make sense? If we were literalists, it'd be a different story. Well, yeah. I, Maybe, but there's an argument for that if you're going to believe a thing. Well, yeah. There's an argument for literalism, but no, I believe it doesn't, it's, I believe it doesn't it's sound, possible. It doesn't sound crazy to me outside of the fact that, no, I don't believe, but uh, whatever. Right, yeah. And Andy informed me that he learned a word, uh, absurdism, right? Or absurdist. Oh, yeah. 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 We're yeah. going to have a talk about that next, yeah. you know, one of these days. But I don't, again, I've said this, I don't necessarily... I, I think it's an accurate, I'll spoil it. I think it's an accurate definition of how I believe. I don't like the use of the word because it immediately brings uh, a bunch of stuff to mind that is not, that is incorrect. Right. But about the word, what the word itself means. So I don't, I don't like the word because I think it's, I think it's dirtied. It's muddied. Yeah, I get but it. But the, the definite, the, the strict definition of it is pretty much what I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I like you being here because you're thoughtful. You remind me of George Carlin and he was very thoughtful, especially with words and meanings. And I think that especially. you're very thoughtful in that realm. Yeah, I well, guess. I you guess guys are too sweet. Point. Every once in a while, it just goes into like you guys being nice to me. You need to <laughs> Personally, I think you're an SOB. But. That's about time. <laughs> That's about time. Anyway. Well, all right. Well, thanks everybody for being here, Cherry. See ya. Andy, Ralph, thank you. Really, yeah, sir. thanks you guys for Ralph. being here. We're gonna we have two more parts, and then I'm gonna close it out. No matter what, you know, just you believe what you want. Go <laughs> We're gonna make you. I gotta We're gonna make you. We gotta move on. We still haven't finished the resurrection. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all, all joking aside, I'm done with the resurrection <laughs> on that part. You know. Anyway, all right. Well, thanks, guys. We'll talk to you next time on the Burrows of Berea. Easy, Cherry. Sorry. Easy. Been a little busy. All right, all right, all right.